0: From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby.
1: Greetings, Earthlings. It is great to have you here. You are in for a show, the Badass Counseling Show. We are doing a live taping of listener questions i am presently live on three platforms instagram TikTok, and facebook taking questions uh from those who tune in and i am here with kc up in the booth hello Casey. she's waving to y'all right now next to me i've got rob the rocket how you doing rob very well sir ready to go excellent yep We've got uh, so many people tuning in from all around the world, from Lake Ida, Minnesota, to Lake Victoria, Tanzania. We actually have that. Melbourne to Manitoba, Juneau, Alaska to Jean Jopin. Sweden, good to have you all here today. We've got, uh, you know, this this whole lightning round stuff. It gets a little exciting. I get a little uh, a little tickle in my, you know, special parts. Uh, this is very exciting. I love taking the questions, and uh, so we're going to go ahead and get after it, as my college football coach used to say, "Get after it." So here we go, people. Shelly asks, "Why do takers, as I call them, or many people call them narcissists, I call them extreme takers?" why do takers destroy the most valuable relationships and then in parentheses as Shelley says with their kids so she's asking two separate questions why do takers or narcissists uh, destroy the most valuable relationships and why do they destroy the ones with kids? They destroy them because they are taking. They are in the business of satisfying their own needs. They are in the business of getting love poured into their love cup. That every person exists to pour love into my love cup. That is how a taker, an extreme taker, operates. That I'm going to manipulate people. I'm going to siphon the love out of them in whatever forms, praise, attention. You do what I want here. Come massage daddy's feet. You know They will do anything that they want to as long as they're allowed to. So they destroy the most, uh, and, and this is the hard part. And I'm not saying that the people around the taker are at fault. The people around the, uh, the taker who are giving, 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 very often they're the extreme givers, and children then are being, if they're a child of this person, are being conditioned to be an extreme giver. They're doing it because the extreme giver believes that in order to get a little bit of love back from you I have to give you a whole lot of love so that's why the extreme giver is doing it at some point the extreme giver has been conditioned to believe that the only way I can get some love is to give massive amounts well when you're giving 10 units and you're getting back one unit that's called a bad investment whether it's in finance or in personal relationships that's a bad investment and so why do they do it they do it because they can they do it ultimately and this is the real punch in the face Extreme takers slash narcissists, for those who are overusing that word, they do it because ultimately they matter more to them than you do. In the end, despite all their pretty words, no, I love my kids, and oh, yeah, they're yammering on and on. Oh, I love you, honey, and oh, you're the best husband or you're the best wife or girlfriend or whatever. Oh, I love my family. I love my parents. In the end, deep down, in their actions, it doesn't matter what they claim, in the end, I matter more than you do. I, the extreme taker, I'm going to take and take and take because I matter more than you do. Now, of course, they're never going to admit it, but that's why they do it. They do it because they can, because they're allowed to get away with it. And there are people that don't let them get away with it. I just did a post on that this week. Will narcissists change? Will Will a narcissist ever change? And in the post, I said, what do you mean? They're changing all the time. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, old man? And I say they're changing all the time. They change when they're at work. I mean, unless they're the boss or... Uh, but at work, the boss would fire him. The HR would fire him. Why? You, nobody likes a dick. Don't be a dick. But they're they're being a dickhead to you. They're being mean to you. But they're not being it to everyone in their life. They They don't have. They're not that way with their friends. Who would tolerate that crap? So they're changing when they're around people who won't tolerate it. And if they are doing it around everyone, their pool of friends, their pool of people who are close to them is shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. They become more and more alone. And you wanna know what changes a a taker, if anything's gonna change an extreme taker? It's pain. It's aloneness. It's not getting love. It's when you leave your extreme taker and maybe it's not when you leave them. Maybe it's when the third husband leaves them. Maybe it's when their own children don't want them and they realize how much of a fucking asshole they are. And But it's not even that. It's just the pain of being alone, the pain of not being wanted and their love cup being bone, motherfucking dry. Pain changes people more than almost anything. And you think you're gonna get them to change by loving them. And you know what? In the rarest of cases, that works, but I note the word I affix to it, the rarest, pain. Change will not occur until the pain gets bad enough. All right, next question. How do I work through my anxious attachment style? Um, This is another set of words, uh, this attachment style and abandonment issues, and there's all these uh, cornucopia of words people are using a lot. In a way, I love it, because it's giving people language for what they're experiencing and what they're feeling. But in the end, It's just a phrase. You got to break that down. What really do you mean when you say, you know, I have abandonment issues? What specifically? That's an easy one to sort of put out there, but what exactly do you mean? What exactly? And here's if you're trying to solve your own internal problems, your own, you know, mental health or soul health issues, as my business is. The first question should always be, what is my greatest fear regarding this situation? So with you, how do I work through my anxious attachment style, you ask? I say, what ultimately is your grand fear when it comes to attaching? Because anxious is a derivative of fear, okay? What is it you're so afraid of? In one sentence or less, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen? Now, usually with anxious attachment style or any sort of attachment, the fear is always that if I show you who I really am, you won't like me. Or you'll walk away. Oh, well, how do you deal with that? You go further into the fear. Where the hell is that coming from? Who taught you that you're unlikable? I guarantee you did not come out of the womb thinking, oh, man, I suck. Oh, people aren't going to like me. Nope. Not the native state of a child. That means self dislike got implanted in you. You were taught a lie. You were taught that you have a problem. Maybe you were taught you are the problem. It was a lie the whole time. There was never anything wrong with you to begin with. You were a sweet kid. And if, you, and if the parent says, no, you were hard to handle, really? How, how did that uh, grow? How did I become hard to handle? Is it possible that the child isn't really the fucking problem? It's that the parent lacks parenting skills. Now, it's not even possible. I'm just saying it is. All right, so whatever your self-loathing is, whatever you don't like about yourself to cause you to think people ain't going to like you, oh, you were taught that. You were taught that. Now, you got to go into those origins. You got to get out the feelings that are attached to those memories. And you got to deal with the implications of really looking at that. All right. How can I stop myself from spiraling before it gets out of control? We spiral because we think we are in the real stuff and we're in pain and we're in sadness and we're in misery, but we're not down into the real stuff looking for solutions. It means going into the pain and flushing and flushing and flushing. See, the spiraling is caused by keeping the pain in. One definition of depression is anger turned inward. Well, anger is one form of pain. It comes from pain and we express it, but because it's not safe or we've not been allowed to express it, to push it out as children, as adults, and we still think we can't as adults, we keep it in. And it just just rots inside, becomes fetid, festers, right? So you have to begin flushing. How do you flush pen and paper, journaling? How do you flush writing letters to the people who have caused you pain? How do you flush by going inside of the crap and saying, where the hell did this come from? Just as we were just talking about regarding anxious attachment style. This is why I wrote the book. There's a hole in my love cup. I hold your hand in that book and lead you into that cave that holds all the pain, that holds the dragons, all the shit you're afraid of. You keep yourself from spiraling by going into the pain and beginning to flush it out, going into the anger, the rage, the sadness, the disappointment, and flushing it out. Flush. by naming what the problems really are, by naming what the origins actually are, my 93-year-old mother passed away at 93. She said for decades, she did this work long before I came along. She would always say, Sven, naming the beast is half the problem. It's half the difficulty, but it's also half the solution. Naming, where the hell did this come from? Naming, I wasn't bad to begin with. I was taught this crap to hate myself. I was taught my voice doesn't matter. My pain, my feelings don't matter. I was taught it and it's wrong and it's killing me from the inside. You stop, you're spiraling by going into it and flushing and flushing and get it out. And that's why we make, that's why Rob sits here freaking working you know, 10, 20 hours a week editing all these videos. That's why KC is up in the booth, uh, not just during taping time, but working on distribution, working on new ideas for getting the word out. We're all here working for free. We ain't making money off this. It's why I wrote the book. It's why I have over 800 videos on Facebook and TikTok and, and whatever, tools to help. But you gotta be willing to go into it. Literally right before this show started, right before we had taped an episode of a counseling episode, our Thursday episodes. And Rob and I, after the episode, say, you know, there really is a difference between a guest on the show or in my counseling practice, someone who is supple and open versus someone who's closed down or who is hiding, escaping to their head and their thoughts. Because as long as I'm up in my head, I don't have to touch my feelings. I had a client or two this week, stays in their head, and so they resist. They resist going down in the feelings. And I I have to tackle them. And I have to sort of pepper them with questions and so forth. I have to get in there. I have to break down all their defenses because they're terrified of going into those feelings. So you're spiraling down because you're terrified of the real feelings. Terrified of feeling it. Terrified of letting it out. Terrified of it potentially overwhelming you. Terrified that what if I get all the crap out, Sven, and there's nothing left. Or terrified of not knowing who I'll be if I get out all those other voices and get out all the pain. Terrified of just the experience of it all. Terrified of not knowing. Terror of feelings. I have clients, military, police. I mean, just the baddest, badasses, savages. I mean, savages is a compliment. And terrified of their feelings. Who will say to me, Sven, this is the scariest stuff I've ever done in my life. And I've faced bullets in my life. This is scary stuff, folks. And if you're willing and open to go into it, you can heal. If you keep resisting, you cannot heal. There are no magic tricks. There are no silver bullets. There are things that will mollify your pains. There are things that will help you cope, but coping ain't healing. If you're still coping, you ain't healed. All right, moving on, fine humans. What have you got? Ah, right. Here's the follow-up, natural follow-up question. This is from Nikki over here on TikTok. After you name it, Sven, how do you start changing the belief? Okay, so naming where these beliefs came from and naming what this core belief is that I've been taught to believe about myself. Oh shit, I don't matter. Or I'm never good enough. Or the real me isn't important and it's not safe for the real me. Or nobody wants me, I'm unwanted. Or I'm unwantable. Whatever the messages may be. And I I address those in the book and I help you name them in the book. And then you ask, Nikki asks, but how do I change those? Truth is, the absolute truth is you wanna know how to change them? You don't. Change them. You don't try to change them. All you have to do is X out, size caedera in Latin, to cut out the beliefs that are not you. And guess what happens? It's just like when you rake your leaves in springtime and it's just like when you get all the crap out of your garden. What happens? The tulips, the daffodils, the jonquils just effortlessly come up. You don't have to change your beliefs. Your beliefs will change effortlessly as you get out of you that which is not native to you. You did not come out of the womb thinking, I'm unwantable. God, I'm ugly. I am so fat. Oh God, I am too skinny. I have spindly legs. I am just disgusting. You didn't come out of the womb that way. No, you were taught that. That means somebody else's beliefs became an infection with a virus inside of you. And until you get that virus out of you, Nah, you got one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake. Or maybe you just have the emergency brake on, right? But until you get that out of you, your life ain't going anywhere. The beliefs will change effortlessly. Next question, people. What you got? I always stress out over small things to the point where I can't enjoy fun activities and I'm mad constantly. Yeah, your love cup is so packed, chock full of crapola, pain. Rage, anger, sadness, so much. You've got so many memories in there, but it's not the memories themselves. I drove to the studio today. I did. And I took a left there at the light and I started going up and down the beautiful hills and there was a house and the houses are pretty and I went over a little brook. Then I turned left again and then I turned right into the studio. That's a memory. I have no emotional charge attached to that. I don't. But, but, today when I walked in to get my coffee at my favorite coffee shop, Oliver, my favorite coffee guy says, Sven, how are you? I have a memory and there is an emotional charge attached to walking into my coffee shop. It's hearing from Oliver, Sven, how are you? Good to see you. I have a happy emotional charge attached to it. So the difference between a memory and a memory with an emotional charge is that you have an emotion with it. Okay, so back to the question. I always stress out over small things to the point where I can't enjoy fun, activities, and I'm mad constantly. Yeah, yeah, of course you are. So you got so many fucking memories in there that have so many fucking emotional charges that even tiny, small things you said, your words, tiny things set me the fuck off. Yeah, because when some new stimulus, negative stimulus gets dropped inside of you, all of those emotional charges are firing. You're on fire, man. You get that shit out. And you'll hear what we've had clients on this. We had that one dude. Do you remember him, Rob? We had one dude on saying, you know, Sven, whether he had started reading my book, I believe, first before he came on the show. And he said, or maybe it was after the show he got back to us and he said, I, I Sven, my I was always just mad. And I find that I'm finding now my first response isn't mad. My first response isn't anger. It's like a 26-year-old kid. That's great. That's what happens, guys. When you begin to flush it out, when you begin to find the origins of all the shit, when you begin to decharge, remove the emotional charges from these memories by doing the work in the book, there's a hole in my love cup, by using every single one of these videos that I make and the podcast and my videos on the different uh, social sites, using them as prompts in your journaling, writing, writing, journaling by typing, the more you flush it out, the more you're going to mellow the fuck out. The more mad isn't going to be your default emotion. The more anxiety is not going to rule your life. Next question. Here we go. Why don't I remember my childhood or any memories at all? And what can I do to help remember? Okay, great question. Get it all the time. Basically, very often what happens is when this is not the only way or the only reason for not having childhood memories or, as you say, any memories at all, Um, but very often in childhood, if there's a lot of pain, if there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, um, pain and fear usually, the child's brain just does this natural shutdown of those memories. Or it creates a myth to say it wasn't as bad as I thought or creates a myth to say it didn't happen. All of those are protective mechanisms. The child is not even aware that they're doing it, yet it's a protective mechanism for the child. It's beautiful, really. However, all of that pain, because it's not safe for the child to get the pain out of, of them. The child, even though they're unaware of it, sometimes they are later, but they store it in a vault. Why? Because it's the most precious thing. A chi- How a child really feels, how a human being really feels is the most precious thing about us. Think about it. In a relationship, you, you're on a date and you, you, now you're on your third date. Now you're on your sixth date and you're opening up a little bit. Opening up. What does that mean? Why would I be closed? Ah, Because I'm afraid that if I show you who I really am, you may not like it. This is the real part of myself, how I really feel, what I really aspire to, what I really want, what really hurts. It's so precious that we hide it. As adults, we all do it. Come on, you don't just go on your first date and say, oh, by the way, you know, I touch myself in my pooper when I'm after I wipe and it feels good or whatever. I'm just making shit up here. (laughs) I'm riffing. All right, by the way, did you know that Jimi Hendrix, I heard that Jimi Hendrix never wrote down what he would create, that he was just always riffing and if he and always improvising. And so if he liked it, he'd remember it, but he never wrote it down because he just always wanted to be fresh. I heard something like that. Do you know anything about that, Rob? A sign of true genius. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was just riffing there in the butthole thing. I Sometimes it doesn't work. You gotta be willing to fail, right? You gotta be willing to strike out if you're gonna hit for power and, uh, and, and you know, Swing for the fence. Anywho, how? Nice, nice save there. Dude. Well, thank you, thank you. Just make up a Jimmy Hendrix story. No, it's true. I read it. Honest, I read it. Um, what the hell were we talking about? Um, oh, the memories of childhood. Okay, and you say, and then you said, but I, why don't I remember my childhood or or many memories at all? And what can I do to help remember? Okay, again, the book. There's a hole in my love cup. It trust me, it'll start unlocking shit. But. What you start with is what you do remember because you say, or many memories at all. I guarantee you, you have memories of the last week or the last month uh, where something pissed you off or something hurt your feelings or somebody made you feel yucky or you were disappointed because you know your um, peonies didn't blossom this season or because you, know, you, got, you missed out on that event that you really wanted to go to. I guarantee you have some memory within the last week or month that has some measure of feeling attached to it. Start there. Start with something small. Start with something medium or something even big. Start where you can because the more you unpack this one, you're telling your soul, okay, we got one out of there and I can handle it. Give me another one. And your soul, whether it's in your dream, your dreams at night, that can unlock stuff. Or when you're just driving to work or when you're cleaning the house, something comes to you and it's like, holy crap. I'd forgotten about, oh, wow, that's a, oh, wow, I'm feeling it right now in my chest. Or, oh, my gut is becoming upset. Or, man, I feel tightening in my throat right all the different chakras all that stuff right so you've just found another memory that has an emotional charge now sit down start journaling about it start talking it out you know with your therapist but you can do all this shit on your own you can go to a therapist i'm all for therapy i'm all for going to a soul counselor if you got a really good clergy person a great rabbi or whatever or you you know you can talk with your imam or whatever it is but i'm all for doing it on your own cuz you can and then you just start flushing that shit out Oh, what's the memory? What happened? Why do I, what am I feeling right now? Why am I feeling right now? What's the origin of this feeling? Start flushing it out. Start with what you do remember and the memories that you do have that have emotional charges. Then go on to the next one because I guarantee another one will come. And bit by bit, you'll begin to open up more and you'll get better at it. And more memories with emotional charges will come. And eventually, it'll work your way back into your childhood. Or maybe you'll get blasted with a childhood memory right out of the gate, you know, a week later. Whatever, but the more you work on what you do remember and what um, uh, emotional charges you do feel, the rest will come. Trust me, it will come. And at each moment, you're going to have to recommit to the process. And am I really, really ready to do this? Because you've been shutting it down your whole life, involuntarily shutting it down to keep yourself safe. And now by pulling out one more memory and one more memory, you're saying, I am safe. I am comfortable with these memories coming up, even with their emotional charges. I am stronger. I'm a little bit stronger today. I'm a little bit stronger today. All right. What do we have next, people? You know what? There's going to be much more to come right after this short break.
0: You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com an order, there's a hole in my love cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform, and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass.
1: And we are back with a lightning round of the badass counseling show. Uh, this is actually really good. I don't think we've addressed this one. How to not cry during an argument. Okay, I'm gonna approach this with two things. You know, because w- when we get emotionally charged, a lot of times when I'm in an argument, sometimes I get mad, all right? Sometimes when some people get in an argument, they start to cry. Crying isn't always an indicator of pain or sadness. Uh, That crying, like anger, is a way to express, to get out energy, benign. In other words, it it doesn't necessarily imply uh, anything like you're weak or anything. It's just, it's literally a way that the body expresses, pushes out uh, energy, and But it can be perceived as weakness or be used against us or, or whatever, either anger, you know, guy. some guys, some women too, you know, and some non-binaries, it's like they get mad and the other person says, see, you're always getting angry, you're an angry person. Or, you know, you start crying and say, don't bring that tears shit in. I mean, come on, God, you always have to cry or, oh, you're always the victim, aren't you? Right, it's interpreted by the other person as something when it's just oftentimes a natural emotion. Now, it's not okay to take, you know, mad out on another person, but it's the body trying to express all this emotion, right? Which is why sometimes I just had a client this week and this client has always used physical exercise, extreme physical exercise to release that when he would get worked up, you know, from emotional shit, to keep the emotion down, but he still had this massive physical energy. So he'd go to the gym and he'd lift heavy weight or he was into uh, uh, some form of uh, Kung Fu and he'd you know go and get a good workout and so on and do some free fighting, whatever. And that get the uh, physical energy out, but that doesn't get the emotional energy out. That doesn't address the actual emotion. You can't yoga your way through the actual naming the emotions and going down to the soul and naming the beast and getting that out. You can have insights in yoga and huge ones, especially as you're tracking your breath. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You can have huge insights when you're working out or running, swimmers, all these huge insights when you're mountain climbing, though you will never see me mountain climbing. I'm scared. Uh, Yes, I journal on that. (laughs) And I'll share that with you sometime. Anyway, the point is, the point is, uh, these are ways to get out the physical energy that is attached to an emotion, but you also have to get out the uh, the actual feeling and and address it and feel the, the energy because a lot of times the physical stuff is a way to not have to feel the feeling, which is why I recommended to this client this week, why don't you do your journaling while you're working out? I do it. I, do, I journal in between sets. That way, anything that I'm really pissed about or really raged about, you know, that you know, such and such is trying to screw me over on my you know royalties on whatever book or whatever, or somebody cut me off today in traffic, and you know I'm so pissed. Great, I can unleash the physical energy in my workout, and I can be journaling in between sets. So that works for me, man. Then I just. Plow through it. Okay. But that's not the question you ask. You ask, how do you not cry during an argument? The way you not cry during an argument, what's happening is feelings inside of you are being, you know, emotional charges attached to memories, attached to events, attached to this situation are being charged, are being electrified. And so you actually don't do it so much in the moment. You do it beforehand and afterwards by flushing out all of your feelings. And the more you do that, the more you empty your love cup of the crud, the more you make room for new situations, new negative stimuli. And those negative stimuli, because there's less crap in there for it to electrify, you can handle more. And stuff doesn't set you off. A very dear friend of mine was in a very important meeting giving a presentation this last week uh, to a group of people who were attacking, attacking uh, you know, her organization's work. And my friend called me up afterwards and she said, "Man, I'm shocked. I've never had to do that before, stand before a room of antagonists. And I really believe in the work that my organization has done. And to get attacked like that, she said, it was hard, but I'm really proud of myself. Because one guy actually said, I'm not going to be nice about this. And I'm going to come after you here. So you buckle up. And she responded in the moment by saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to resort to being disrespectful. I'm going to be kind to you. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the first time you've ever had a room full of antagonists and you came back with that? And you managed to stay calm and not attack back. I said, dude, you have been doing your work. You have been doing your healing of flushing out all your stuff such that it has calmed you down. It's made you more patient, more able to be present, going all like back in Dalai Lama shit. All right, here we go. Next, next, next. Somebody says, are you a licensed counselor and do you do counseling? I, this is a great question. It's a great question. I try to address this every few sessions. I am not a licensed psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a licensed therapist because I am not a psychology anything. Psychology does good things. I'm a big fan. God bless you. If all the people on the, the boots on the ground in schools and clinics, in private practices who are counseling people, I salute you. However, I do a different brand of work. I'm a former clergyman. I do soul counseling. I'm a former chaplain at a level one trauma center, a former trauma counselor at a U.S. airline. And I've had a counseling practice for the last 30 years, uh, most of the last 10, excluding COVID, uh, in Manhattan, New York City. And uh, yeah, I do counseling. You can go to badasscounseling.com. But I do a very different type of work. I go deeper. I go down to the soul level. I'm not so much in mental health. Uh, at at all, really. I'm in soul health. Um, So just to make that clear, if you're looking for a psychologist, I'm not your guy, um, and I wish you well on your journey. All right, next question. I'm going to just take a poke at this one, but um, no guarantees. Hello, please can you tell me what's happened in my childhood? Because I can't letting go my ex's boyfriends after love. I stay single eight uh, years after breakups. And then it's so hard to love again. Yeah, okay. Um, I can't tell you what happened in your childhood without knowing more of your story. However, I can address this uh, thing of letting go of exes. I'm going to look at that. Have you you ever been in a situation where somebody broke up with you or you had to break up with someone even though you loved them? Had someone break up with you and you loved them and you didn't want to break up. Have you ever had that? I mean, it's pretty routine human experience. All right, pretty common, whether in childhood or adulthood. And it's hard. And you still love them, and you still want them, right? And people say to me, "Sven, how do I let go? How do I let go?" Or I cling too much, and it's simple: you let go by stop trying to let go. And I know that sounds dopey, and it's like, okay, what stupid ass spiritual con is behind that? Teach me, Buddha. You know, I know it sounds like that sort of shit, right? But it's really just this: you hold on to it. It's like you got this person in your grip and you don't want to let go of the person. You don't want to let go of the memory. You don't want to let go of the relationship because you really had hopes and it felt good. And gosh, I still want them. You keep holding on. But you don't just let it make you sad. You go into the sadness. It keeps nipping at your heels and making you feel sad or make you feel disappointed or betrayed or angry or let down because you're not actually going into the pain. You hold on. You go into The pain is the healing, people. You go into it, and I don't just mean the everyday tears. What is the source of my tears? What am I really feeling? Gosh, what is it I miss the most about her? Um, You know, what's the real loss here? Well, the loss is my dream, or the loss is, God, I just loved our emotional connection, or, man, I got to be honest, the sex was great, and she was just this lovely person that I respected so much. Whatever it is, you got to go into it. And you gotta be flushing this stuff out, guys. If you're not doing it with a therapist or have a very dear friend who's willing to listen and listen and listen and not be judgmental, or you know, just pen and paper, do it in your computer, type in your computer, but it's not enough to just say it out loud out into the air. That's not enough. You wanna know why? Because it goes as quickly as it was there and it will return. You have to stay in it and writing about it forces you to stay in it. In a counseling session forces you to stay in the feelings. The goal is to stay in and keep purging, both, both with tears and, and yelling, but most importantly, by giving words to what you're feeling. And the more you hold on, eventually, the grip gets tired, the more you flush and flush and flush, and eventually you start effortlessly letting go. You can't force yourself to let go. Because if you're forcing it, you're just stuffing your authentic feelings down. You have to purge those feelings out of you. You have to give words to what you're experiencing. And we do that by holding on tighter, writing letters. You do not send, do not send, do not send. I was the guy that sent the letters. It's like, oh, I didn't need to send those. The real act is the act of getting the feelings and the thoughts out, right? Um, and just for the record, if you send those letters, sometimes they can be used against you. Probably not best to do that. Anywho, how? So that's what you do. That's what you do. That is how you let go is you hold on and keep holding on, go into the pain and flush it all out and keep doing it. All right. Uh, right. Somebody asks, Rob, you got to help me with this one, okay? I will be happy to. All right uh glennis collins 777 i liked 77 that was another one of my favorite numbers rob sunset strip oh yeah we, we were talking about favorite numbers this is our 42nd episode our 42nd lightning round right I uh, believe so, yeah. Yeah, 42 is one of my favorite numbers. So we were discussing 42 and then 88, because that's one of my favorites. He says, you'll never see that number in race, racing. I said, I've seen it on side of cars. He says, yeah, but it's the same number, right side up and upside down. So it's a bad number in racing, which I never knew. I didn't have you pegged yeah. as a racing guy, Rob. Well, not, but I know about the number eight. All right, fair <laughs> enough. So anyway, seven. Oh shit, seven, seven. Don't hurt the equipment. I will please. not hurt the equipment. I just bumped the mic there, guys. I gesticulate, I move my arms. It's like, oh, wild baby be flapping his arms anyway the uh question is this do you take hsa somebody want to help me with that uh health savings account maybe uh, oh yeah. yeah health savings account. uh i i know i take paypal and venmo but you can read about that on the website badasscounseling.com i thought it was something like somebody was asking me like do you take ayahuasca or something like that and No, I don't. Nothing against it. Not my business, just not my thing. I didn't know what that was off the top of my head. I just do soul counseling. I'm not a psychologist, guys. All right, next question. Here we go. Okay, here's an interesting one. Using some of the common language nowadays, uh, this person says, will someone who is trauma bonded ever be able to see what is truly going on? Well, of course, because otherwise, that would imply you are forever locked in fog, and you will forever be unsatisfied in your relationship because you'll never see what's going on. Can, will someone who is trauma-bonded ever be able to see what is truly going on? Absolutely. There's, there's absolutely no reason that you can't. It's just a matter of going into it. The real question is courage. And you're like, courage? What the fuck does courage have to do with it? Because it takes courage to go into what that, what's at the root of that bond, what's at the root of the trauma Trauma, pain. What accompanies pain? More pain, anger, fear. Trauma bonds are, are reduced. And this is such a common phrase. I mean, this is just like the last five years. I mean, it existed, but nobody talked like this. But it's a great term. It helps people understand, you know, and give words to their experience. Um, like so many other words, like narcissist or whatever. But hey, if it helps you identify it, I'm all for that. But you still got to go further into it. So in the case of getting rid of a trauma bond, you've got to be willing to go into your trauma. Are you coping? Or are you healing? Are you coping, or are you healing? Yeah, you can sometimes be doing both. Sometimes you just got to cope to get through the day, get through this, you know, work, or get through the next month, whatever. But if you're not actively engaged in healing, you're just coping. And if you've been coping for a very long time, you're not healed. You're just coping. You're just taking a pill. I'm not against you know medications, shit like that. It's not my realm. I don't touch it. But shit, you gotta go into the stuff. You gotta go into the trauma to get over a trauma bond and to be able to see what the hell is really going on. And everything we were talking about today is this idea of going into the pain, going into the fear, and that's why it requires courage. I have people, as you've heard me say, some of the most courageous professions and, and so forth, and yet this is the most terrifying thing, to go into the pain from the past, go into all the core beliefs you were taught taught about yourself. Uh, right. Okay, here we go. And this, you know what? Gosh, this is great. I love this. Do you have advice for someone who would rather stay the same to have a story instead of healing and changing? Um, Yeah. And you don't say if that's you, Sneakerhead, or if that's someone else. But I'm going to say it again. Advice for someone who would rather stay the same to have a story instead of healing and changing? My advice to that person? Well, they're not going to be open to my advice. They're not going to want to hear advice because... They need that story. They want to stay shut down. So this happens in relationships, right? Boyfriend, girlfriend, dating, friendships, family relationships, where some one person is changing and the other person is like, I don't want to fucking change. You and I signed a contract for this relationship and we we're you were going to be this, I was going to be this, and now you're doing all this fluffy or weird-ass changing shit and God bless you, whatever, but you breached the contract. So what the hell am I supposed to? Oh, I got to change this because you want to change? Fuck that shit. Why don't you go back to being who you were because that's what who you told me you were? Not a lot of relationships, old school, wrote into the contract, hey, by the way, we're going to change. And what do we do as we each start to change? Are we cool with that? Are we both going to try to change? All right. So now as we get into this whole notion of, of therapy becoming much more normal and people growing and evolving and healing, you got to write that shit into the clauses of the contract then if one person starts to grow, they have every right to do that. And if you're growing, you're probably giving yourself that right. But that's going to cause uh, problems in the relationship. It's not absolutely going to lead to a breakup. But now there's a problem because one person has become something different and the other person is staying the same and doesn't want to change. So what you're asking me is, do I have advice for the person who doesn't want to change? Um, no, but I would have questions. One of the questions I would ask is, why don't you want to change and grow and heal? And they say, because I don't want to. And I say, Okay. And then I'd say, are you okay losing the person who is changing? Are you okay with your pain increasing? And they'd say, what the fuck is that? What do you mean my pain incre- I'm not in pain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the mere fact that you admit you don't want to heal, that you cling to this story and avoid healing implies that you have something you need to heal from. Which means you have a wound, you have a pain, and that shit only gets worse. Pain doesn't get small. It doesn't magically go away. It gets bigger. And so my the statement I would say to the person who would rather stay the same to have a story, to sustain the family myth or to claim, you know, you were the jerk, I was the victim or I was, you know, I was never a jerk. No, no, I was never a jerk. Whatever the story is, I got to cling to my story because I don't want to touch the pain. And I don't want to, I don't want to, the pain doesn't even exist. You know what? No. And I my advice to them is, or my words to them are simply your pain will get worse. And they're like, I don't have any pain. And I'm like, okay. Okay. In the end, if somebody doesn't want to change, you're not going to change them. Their pain is going to change them. And then they'll crack open, which is why they may actually change in their next relationship because maybe their next person doesn't allow their bullshit. Or maybe they get left by the next person and then they start their change, whatever it may be. But it's it's almost invariably pain. Somebody asked, Sven, you are wearing a Minnesota Twins baseball cap. Are you in Minnesota? I am not. As we say at the opening of the show, in the opening as read by the lovely woman who reads in that lovely British accent and says from the New York City area. No, we are in the New York City area. However, my roots go deep in Lake Park, Minnesota, Fridley, Minnesota. First house I ever owned was Minneapolis, Minnesota. Here we go. Do you have any books that you'd recommend for shadow work? Yes, I have uh, three in particular. And one is my book. There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And as I recommend in my book, there are two other books that I recommend for shadow work. Uh, There's a hole in my love cup. You can get it at badasscounseling.com. I also recommend a book by the really terrific self-help author of the 1990s, early 2000s, Debbie Ford. title of the book is uh, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. It's a cool title, right? Ooh, Dark Side, Light Chasers. Ooh, I like that. And then the other one that I strongly recommend with my own book, but it, it won't take you all through the identifying of feelings, but it helps you in the uh, very fast purging of it. And you're gonna need that if you're doing shadow work because shadow work basically means all the stuff you're denying about yourself, all the stuff you're denying about your past, all your pains and hurts from your past, all the stuff you've been running from, that's your shadow. And you don't become a full self until you integrate all that stuff. Uh, Maybe in your home, you were never allowed to feel anger or you were taught that sadness is bad. That means your shadow, in other words, the the shit that you're, Uh, ignoring, turning your back on but it's still behind you and sort of your dark side is your anger, is your sadness and you don't become a fully integrated person, you don't become your uh, real self until you allow that anger as well or that sadness as well or that aspect of your family. In my family, one of the messages, sort of implicit messages growing up was sort of like um, not money is bad but money isn't a primary uh, driver. It's not a good way to live. Um, you know, my my father had his shoe, walked away from great wealth to become a clergy person. And the good kind, not the crappy kind of ramming shit down your throat. Really good guy. Um, and he never really forced any messages on us about money, but it was understood. He gave up money to serve people. Well, even if you never preach anything about money to your kids or say anything, that, his story alone was a powerful message. So for some of us in our family, some of us kids, we had to sort of give ourselves permission if we wanted to. Place greater weight on, you know, making a bigger living. Now, I was a pastor for a long time, so clearly I didn't. Uh, But, you know, I know some of us struggled with it, some of us, six siblings. Um, So that would be shadow work. Shadow work, looking at that which was is considered bad or that you formerly thought was bad, even if you weren't taught that by a parent. We weren't taught money is bad, but we interpret it as a child as such. And so it's reintegrating that. And really what shadow work is about is discovering, well, who am I really? When I'm really being truthful, not who I was taught I should be or shouldn't be, but who am I really? And so uh, the three books, as I said, Dark Side of the Light Chasers, there's a hole in my love cup. And then the other tool you're going to need that isn't going to help you identify the shadow so much. But once you begin to identify all the uh, the shadow and all the feelings around it, you're going to need ways to release those feelings. And that's what the Sonoma Method is for. Okie doke. Next question. Oh, I need my glasses for this one. The print. Uh, I have three screens going right now. And the print on Instagram is teeny tiny. Oh, yeah. This person just made my point. The more I work on understanding and healing myself, the worse my marriage becomes. I'm thinking it's time to move on, but wondering if there's any way to make it better and stay. Um, yeah, you could stop healing and go back to who you were, and then you could stay. But you said make it better and stay. That making it better, in other words, two people, when someone has done the healing work and change, and I was talking about this just a minute ago, so I'll sort of wrap it up with this or wrap up this point with this. Um, if the other person's not willing to change and grow, They're probably not going to want you. You're getting the the pain is increasing as you're healing more and becoming your more your authentic self because it's creating a chasm because the it's a whole new contract and they don't want that contract and you don't want the old contract. So is there any way to make it better? Unless they have the courage and the willingness to change in their ways, no, no, it can't be saved. It's done. It's toast, man. Uh, but here's the other thing. Even if they do change and grow, what if two people were to change and grow and heal and then realize, you know what? You're great and everything. Thanks for the memories, but I just don't feel like I want to continue a relationship with you. So even if two people are healing, doesn't necessarily mean that means they're going to end up together, all right? But it's that openness, that willingness to each of us become our authentic self. I'm in, or I've been in a relationship with a woman for nine and a half years, and one of the fundamental, stated, explicit, understandings of our relationship is that one of my highest aims is to help her become her, just her most authentic self, to be her at flying at full wingspan. And she expresses the same about me, even if it leads us apart, just be you. We will enjoy, you are my soulmate for this chapter, this sector, this time of my life. I've had a few soulmates in my life. One was one of my brothers for many years then my first wife, and a, actually a woman before my first wife, and then my second wife, um, and then a very, very dear friend of mine for a stretch of time was my soulmate. And then um, now this woman I've been with for nine and a half years. Soulmate doesn't necessarily mean forever. And when I changed that time clause on my definitional soulmate, everything changed for me. Ah, here we go. Oh, God, powerful one. Jeepers, creepers, here we go. Listen to this one, guys. This is a punch in the face. How do you let an adult child go because of turmoil and when you've lost another child to death? I I am incapable of providing consolation to you except to say, I am so sorry. You've lost a child and now you are faced with letting go of an adult child because of turmoil. Your heart must be so broken, it breaks anew every day. You wake up and first thing in the morning, you look out the window and you see the sun is shining and then it hits you. One of my children is dead and the other one has walked away or I need to walk away from them. And then you carry that grief till the end of the day. Then you go to sleep and you do it all over again. That's what cancer is. That's what so many pains of life are that it just destroys the days. So I want to say sincerely from my heart, from Rob, from KC, from our other listeners, death of a child and now you're losing another one to walking away. I'm sorry. So that being said, I want to help you with the question. How do you let go of an adult child because of turmoil and when you've lost another child to death? Okay, I'm just going to be straight up with you. You have to be flushing. You more than anybody need to be flushing all the pain, all the anger, all the sadness, all the rage, all the disappointment, all the betrayal, whatever it is you feel, all of it, your full-time job must be journaling. Your full-time job must be using the Sedona method to purge out all these feelings. Your full-time job must be writing letters to your deceased child, writing letters to your existing child, to anyone that you have emotional charges with. You wanna know why? Because your love cup is so packed, chock full of so much pain in there so much hurt, so much fear, so much rage, so much everything that it's just overflowing and sometimes life is that way and it will you will spiral down, it will drag you down. And uh, if you have not, that means addressing the child that you lost and and flushing and flushing and flushing. And how do you let go of the adult child uh, because of turmoil? you address the feelings of turmoil, the sadness, the anger, the disappointment, the rage, all of it and flushing and flushing and flushing and that's how you deal with it. How do you let the child go by dealing with your own feelings that you're getting out? Don't let them, don't stay stuck in your head as a safety place. I just go to my head because I just have thoughts and then I don't have to feel the stuff. No, the goal is to feel it, to let it out. And the better you get at it, the more you you do it. I don't mean just cry the cry or yell. I mean giving words to what you're feeling, giving words. And well, how did I feel about that? Or what did it look like when they did that? And why is this particular thing bothering me today? Go into it, go into it, go into it. And that's what all of these tools are for. You know, Dark Side of the Light Chasers and, and Sedona Method and There's a Hole in My Love Cup and my podcast and all of these videos are to help you to use as journaling prompts. Journaling is one of the most powerful tools I've ever learned in my entire life. And I got set on it when I was 13 by my mother. Smartest thing that I was ever done because I was allowed to get my words out of me. But you have to, you have no choice, Dawn. You either choose to live or you choose to allow this stuff to crush you, continue to crush you until you're ground down to flower. And that's it, folks. That's what we all have to do. In whatever it is that's afflicting your soul, your attachment issues, your extreme taker in your life, your sadness over the breakup, the loss of a child, the realizing you have to walk away from a parent, All of this is about going down into the soul and pulling out all the crud and being deliberate about it and allowing the feelings and not running from the feelings because the feelings are your salvation. They are what will set your soul free. They are what will give you clarity, give you lightness of spirit and finally have peace in your motherfucking soul. Well, guys, I love you so much. This has been fantastic. Best questions. You guys are the best question askers. And just for the record, To all of you, wherever you may be, whether you are on the I-35 going from Duluth all the way down to Corpus Christi, whether you are on a boat out in the middle of the Pacific, whether you're on your commute going into Oslo, wherever you are, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show. Rob, any closing thoughts or feelings or ideas today? You got it covered, my friend, as always. I noticed, Rob, at one point that you took a moment away from whatever was vomiting out of my mouth to take a picture of our studio cat. We have a studio cat, you guys. Tell us about our studio cat, Rob. She was curled up at the... um at the edge of your chair down there on the floor. And I was afraid you were gonna push your chair back and injure her, that's all. Oh, I wouldn't do that, no way. And what is our studio cat's name, Rob? Carly. 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 And be, and Carly is named Carly because? Because she was found in a car by animal control and we adopted her. Oh, yeah. So we have a studio cat. Yeah. Here in our studio, we have adopted, and by we, I right, mean Rob, the studio manager. All right, guys. So on behalf of my production team, KC and Rob the Rocket and Studio Cat Carly, thanks so much for tuning in to The Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass day.
0: The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman, executive producer Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.